Jesus, God is good. Give God some hand praise for how good he is. Yes. Man, God, he is so good to us. And when you, when you stop and really think about kind of where you are right now and what you've been through, I'm sure we can all think of things and times in our lives where we were, we were in a bind between a rock and a hard place and we're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it till tomorrow. But God has been so good to you that he made sure not only that you saw the next day, but, but the next and the next and the next. And he, he revealed himself in so many different unimaginable ways to you to just to showcase how good he is. It's amazing who God is and what he's done for us. Turn with me in your copy of God's word. We're going to be in Romans chapter 1 here this morning. And as, as we're talking about how good God is, you know, over my life, I've needed this reminder about who God is, what he's done, and why he's so good. Because let me tell you something, I used to be an angry person. I, I know I can seem kind of even killed these days, but man, years ago, I would just walk around just annoyed. I, people would come up to me and ask for things like, oh, just one more thing, I guess I'll do it. Or things would happen in my life and it just everything was so frustrating that I just didn't know how to handle it. It got so bad for me that I would, it was normal for just for me to have a migraine because everything was just offensive to me and I took it personally. I got angry, I got frustrated and it's over stuff that didn't mean anything. Like people were like, what's What's wrong with you? Nothing. I'm fine. Leave me alone. But it was clear that something was wrong. And it, I mean, it could have been nothing. It could have been everything. But I just walked around with this chip on my shoulder. It's just, just bothered by everything. It's, you know, it's amazing that I'm a pastor today because I did not like people. Like I, being an introvert, and being annoyed by generally everything, I just didn't want to be around people. But uh, God worked on me a lot. <laughs> and so now, just understanding how good God is and, and what he's done and, and how he's brought, brought me through. He gave me a heart and he gave me a love, not only for him, which is most important, but also for his people. But then when we think about God himself, right? When we look at God and who he is, people who are not really uh, reading through their Bible, they don't really attend church regularly. I've often heard it said that, well, the, the God of the Old Testament is this fire and brimstone angry God. So I'm, I only read the New Testament because that's where we get to read about the loving God who loves everybody. But I'm afraid that they need to spend some more time in the scriptures because there's just as much fire and brimstone in the New Testament as there is in the Old. Not to say that God is not loving, but he's angry because he loves you. And that's what we're going to talk about here this morning, God and his wrath. Why is God so mad? 
What's, what's, what's going on that he's just upset with people, and especially his people? When we talk about the wrath of God, God's anger, it's, his, it's righteously revealed because people suppress the truth about the one true living God, and they turn to idolatry. That's, in a nutshell, why he's angry. That's why we experience the wrath of God. The consequences of idolatry is the moral breakdown of human society. Imagine this. Those of you who are reading through our Bible reading plan or walking through Genesis, what if we actually live the way God had told us to live from the very beginning? What if we followed all his laws and plans? What kind of world would we live in if we actually adhered to what God calls us to? It's evident from the very beginning when sin entered the world, it started the moral breakdown of the fabric of the world from then on, and it just continues to perpetuate itself. We continue to double down in this idolatrous attitude and looking for ourselves as opposed to looking to God, that we want to live according to our flesh and do what we desire as opposed to what he desires. And it wouldn't, we wouldn't have this breakdown. God had this perfect design for us that had we just listened to him and followed him, life could be a lot different. Look with me in Romans 1. We're going to start in verse 18 here this morning. And here God's word reads in verse 18 of Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Stop right there. We ask the question, why is God angry? And I'm glad Paul anticipates this question and he answers it for us. Isn't that nice when you ask a question, you get an immediate answer? And it's straight up. He's telling you exactly why God is angry. The anger or the wrath of God refers to his personal anger against sin. A holy and righteous God cannot tolerate sin. And what we've done is we have substituted the truth about him with a fantasy of our own imagination. We've, we've taken what is true and made up something completely different to serve ourselves. We've suppressed the truth that God naturally reveals to all people in, in order to believe anything that supports our own self-centered lifestyles. I don't like what God says I don't like how God tells me to do these certain things, so I'm just going to do my own thing. For those of you with children, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? You tell you, hey, I want you to do this a certain way. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't really want to do that, right? So I'm going to find my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. And that's exactly what we do to God. Unlike you and I, as I explained earlier, how angry that I used to be, um, for no reason, by the way, oftentimes, but God is not like that. God is not flippant about his anger. God's anger is not selfish, it's not arbitrary, but it represents his holy and loving response to human wickedness. God can't tolerate sin because his nature 
is morally perfect. How can he turn a blind eye to his, his people, his, his children going in the wrong direction? Again, for those of you who are parents in the room and you see your kid doing something or going wayward, how, how, how that breaks your heart. And, and, and you know, sometimes you wish they could just shake them as they get it, right? <laughs> just, just get it. But it doesn't work that way. It didn't work for me. I had to find my own way. I had to fall down. And, but, man, I just imagine my parents, and they're like, man, he's just doing it again. I tried to tell him, but he won't listen. Here is a holy God who loves his children, who wants the best for us, and he is the giver of that. And to see us go down the wrong path and choose the wrong way, he just simply can't ignore or condone this willful rebellion, just as any good parent. Brothers and sisters, make sure that you're not pursuing a fantasy rather than a true God. How, how do you know who, who the true God is? And he's found in, in Scripture. He reveals himself, not, not only through natural means, for which we'll talk about in a minute, but also through his Scripture, and that's how we get to know him. I want you to be sure that you do not suppress, suppress the truth about him in order to protect your own lifestyle. There's a lot of that going on these days. I want to live in a certain way, and so because I want to live this way, I'm going to ignore what God has said. We talk about the attributes of God and his wrath, and people often say things like, uh, I mean, is sin really that big a deal? I hear people say this. Does, does it really matter that much? God doesn't really care if I lie to my spouse or cheat on my taxes. Like, he's got better things to do than worry about all that, right? This is what people honestly say they say, God, you just got more important things to do. But if, 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 if things like this really matter, they ask, if it really matters to God, then how can a loving God, especially one, uh, send, send people to hell, especially someone who's not heard about the gospel? How can a loving God send people to hell alone? But what about people in a foreign land that don't have Bibles? How, how could a loving God send them to hell. The reality is that God doesn't send anyone to hell. We choose it every single day, every single moment. We choose whether we're going to follow him or follow the idols that we constructed. And we choose for ourselves where it is that we spend eternity. What Paul is saying here is that God has revealed himself plainly to all people through his creation. So as you see, I mean, the sun coming up in the morning, the animals walking around and doing all this stuff, we see miracles every moment of every day, and it's God who made it that way. God who made everything that there is, he made, and he reveals himself through nature. Whether a man lives in Timbuktu or here in Illinois, he, he, he knows something about God. God is expressing himself through all those things. God's invisible attributes are clearly seen to everyone. 
you know, is, is like when you consider the wind outside. We don't, we don't see the wind, but we know it's there because the effect that it has, right? This is the same is true for God. The effects are obvious. So in the same way, creation testifies to the existence, the greatness, the power and glory of God. It is undeniable. We talk about uh, all this, the, the things that happen and the, the Big Bang Theory and the, uh, stuff just, um, just came out of nowhere from nobody that, that just doesn't make sense. There, there has to be an unknown cause. And, and the, the, the atheist will say, well, it just happened. It just was a spark. Well, where did this spark come from? And that unknown cause is God. Paul later talks about it. You know, they, they constructed, they wanted to cover all their bases, so they constructed all these statues of all these different gods, and they had one for the unknown God. He's like, let me tell you something about this unknown God. Let me tell you something that you're missing here. And this is something that we talk about that is undeniable, how God uh, shows who he is through creation. Psalm 19, 1 through 6 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words uh, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all earth, and the words to the end of the world in them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the earth, and its circuit is from the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. But despite God revealing himself to all of us, Despite all of this, people still choose to reject even this basic knowledge of God. Like I said, we, you know, the atheists want to talk about the Big Bang and explain all that kind of stuff away and uh, talk about the age of the earth and uh, all these different things, completely neglecting what's plainly in front of us and what that looks like and how it testifies to who God is and what he's done. Uh, people have this inner sense of what God requires, but they choose not to live up to it. We talk about morality, and there's the argument that goes, well, are you trying to say that I need to follow your God in order to have morality? That's exactly what I'm saying. Where else do you get this than from the, the, the pages of our text? Or if you say, well, I can do what feels right to me, and you do what feels right to you, Oh, great. Give me your car keys. Why don't you let me take over your house? You, actually, you get out of your house and let me stay there because it's right to me that you would live on the street and I take your house. Oh, well, no, that, that wouldn't be right. What, right according to who? We've, we've got to start somewhere. And again, as I said last week, you can't have more than one thing be true. There's a, there can only be one truth. There's not your truth and my truth. There is the truth. And we're going to pound this and pound this every week until we get it through our heads. 
that we cannot fabricate any of this. In order to live their own way, people have to suppress God's truth. They have to change it. And if you look, man, this is scaring me. When we look at social media and the people that are on it, and we've got so-called pastors who are uh, uh, talking about things that are diametrically opposed to what God is saying. And they're, they're taking it and, and changing it, and just like the serpent did in the garden. They're doing the exact same thing today and to, to make it mean something different, adding things to the text, or, well, he didn't say, he didn't mean all of this. But they, they are suppressing and they're ignoring the plain words of God in order to do it. When you tell them, well, show me in the chapter, show me in the verse where it says this, they're like, well, I don't really believe that all the Bible is God's word. I don't believe that God's word is infallible. So I, this part, I take this part and the rest I kind of make up. It's crazy what we're seeing today. So if God has revealed himself through nature, that we can, we can see his handiwork everywhere, and deep down we should recognize to some extent um, who he is and what he's done, then you might be asking the question, if you're tracking with me, you might ask the question, well, what about missionaries? Like if, if everybody really uh, deep down knows who God is and can see in him uh, in nature, then why do we need missionaries? Well, the simple answer is that our wickedness and our flesh clouds us from the truth. Like deep down, yes, we know that we shouldn't kill people. We, we know we, we shouldn't lie. We know all these things inherently, but our flesh comes up and we start to look out for our own selves. In order to get ahead, I got to tell lies. And in order to get what I want, I got to cheat. Well, if this person keeps getting in my way, he's got to go, right? So, but we know inherently that this is not how we're supposed to operate. And even though God plainly reveals himself through creation, people just refuse to commit to him. So what missionaries do is they persuade them by sharing the gospel and pointing out the dangers and the consequences of their sin. It's easy to sin when you don't know the consequences or you neglect to to think about it or, or any of those things. But once you're faced with the consequence, once you're faced with the, the dangers and the disaster that comes, then you got to make a choice. You got to make a decision. Either I'm, not, I'm just going to, I don't care about the consequences, I don't care about the danger, or I do and I need to fix it. So missionaries uh, help to advance the Great Commission as we go, to, therefore, and, and, and make disciples of all nations, right? But when we think about missionaries, we think about people going overseas and going to remote islands. Let me remind you that we're missionaries here in Bolingbrook. Let me remind you that we've got some 74,000 people right here in Bolingbrook, and about 30,000 of them don't know Jesus. That's about 40% of the people right here in our own town that don't know Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we got some work to do. We are all, if you're a Christ follower, missionaries right here in our own town, right here in Bolingbrook, 
to go and, and, and proclaim the good news, proclaim the gospel so people might be able to know the name of Jesus. Fundamentally, thank you for that amen, our evangelists here in the house. We got some work to do. But fundamentally, just knowing God or knowing about God isn't enough. We got to go further and deeper when it comes to that. I mean, the devil knows God. He knows about God. And if you remember the temptations of Jesus, him quoting scripture, so that ain't enough. That ain't enough that you know about God if you don't choose to, to follow him. There's a lot of things that you can know about that's meaningless if you don't take it any further. I know a lot of things, but a lot of things. What did I say? I know a lot of things. Yeah, that's what I meant. I know a lot of things, but a lot of things. But if I don't do anything, if I don't use it, what, what use is it? What, what is it worth if I don't do anything from there? So people need to learn that God is loving. They need to know that he sent his son to demonstrate his love for us. They also need to be shown how to accept God's forgiveness of their sin. So we got a lot of so-called Christians that want to walk around and, and, and they call the Bible thumpers and, and tell everybody how they're going to hell in the handbasket and you're sinning this way, you're sinning this way, and you're not doing good, you'll never do right. That's, that's only half the story. If you only leave out half the story, why should I listen anymore? The, the next part of the story is there's a solution to where you are today. And his name is Jesus. That he paid the price that you couldn't pay. What you rightly deserve is death. But God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to pay the price on your behalf. So that you might have eternal life so that you can have a relationship with God. That's the other part of the story that we don't get to hear. That's why people don't like messing around with Christian folks. You're always talking about how I'm going to hell, but like, so what? What's the alternative? And that's what we're here for. We got to tell the complete message about the gospel so that people know that there's a solution to their problems. Look with me in verse 19. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There's no, there's no uh, way to get out of this. There's no way to say, well, I didn't know. Just like if a, a police officer uh, pulls you over on 55 because you were going 90 miles an hour, you can't say, well, I, I didn't know I couldn't go 90. Like, really? You know good and well you couldn't go 90 on 55. Right? We, we know deep down, and, and God's wrath is, expo is expressed for good reason since his power and divine nature are clearly revealed through the world. And, and he, he makes, even, it makes, even, it makes it revealed for, for folks, even though they reject him. It's still clear as day. So 
these verses show that salvation not only come through general revelation or uh, what is known about uh, God through you know, the, the natural world, right? This is general revelation. Everything that God created is there. We should be able to see him and know him through that. But Paul emphasizes the universality of sin and concludes that no one seeks after God. We're not even trying. We are more concerned about doing things our own way. And the entire natural world bears witness to God through his beauty, through his complexity, design, and usefulness. So no one should complain that God has left insufficient evidence of his existence and character. He has shown us more than enough. The problem is that people just rightly reject all of this evidence, just flat out, just reject it. It goes on in Romans 21 and uh, Romans 1, 21 through 23, where it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The root of this, the root of sin is the failure to value God above all things. And what, what happens is that he, he doesn't get uh, honor and praise that he rightly deserves. He doesn't get the recognition that he should have. And, and at the foundation of this is idolatry. That's our fundamental sin. So in addition to images housed in great temples, Roman families commonly kept representations of individual house gods also in their homes to, to look at them and to pray to them and, and do all these different things. And what we see is the Mediterranean and Near Eastern pagan, pagan religious um, they worship these idols, um, whether they be in form of beasts or other likenesses the where they mix beasts and human deities, um, much like we see with the Egyptian gods. It's kind of the same deal, just fashioning whatever it is they can think of and start to worship them. And when we think about today, when we think about modern times, it's, it's a little different. I, I don't think any of you are, you know, wood carving idols in your house. I hope not. Or, or doing any, any of those things, or maybe you can, or even buying them from the store and setting them up in your house and praying to them and, and doing all these things. But we've constructed idols in a different way. These idols that we constructed are often in our minds, the things that we've put before God, that we, we honor more than God and we respect more than God. And so we, we still have idols today. They just look a lot different. And idolatry begins when people reject what they know about God and they start to uh, lift up these idols uh, in, in the place of God. So we think more of those things than we think of God. So instead of looking to him as the creator and sustainer of our faith, they make themselves, these people that create idols, they idolize themselves. They make themselves the center of their universe instead of making God the center. They invent gods that are a convenient projection of their own selfish ideas. These gods may be 
wooden figures or they might be goals or, or things such as money or power, possessions. All these things are idols in our lives these days. There's so many misrepresentations of God where we make God in our image instead of the other way around. That we seeking to be made and living in his image. Verse 24 says, therefore, God gave them up. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Paul says several times, he gave them up. In each of these instances where he says this is because of idolatry and refusing to make God the center of all their existence. So what we do is, is, is put the, the, the creature over the creator. And in doing so, we fail to praise God as the giver of everything, everything that is good. So here's what happens. When we put things before God, people reject God and they make up their own ideas of what God should be and do. As they go down this path, they fall deeper into wicked things. And we can see this play out for us in our own world, in our own lives. We see people when they, they, they go toward, uh, they, they just suppress God and the truth and they start to go toward more wicked things such as greed or hate, envy, murder, fighting, deception, malice behavior, gossip, you name it. We see it and not only do we see it, it becomes acceptable. Things that, that we're doing today just wasn't the, a thing 10, 20 years ago. That, that it, just because it's more common doesn't mean that it is good and acceptable. And it's not God who causes this steady progression down, downward spiral. It's us. It's of our choosing. When people reject him, he, he allows them to choose. It's this free will that we have. He's showing who he is and what he's done. And, and even through that, he, we can see his loving nature and all that, that, that we get by being heirs according to his kingdom. And how great that is. We talked about how good God is. He shows us all that. And so we get to make a choice. Well, you can have what God supplies or you can choose on your own. You can choose happiness right now. You can choose satisfaction right now or what you think is happiness and satisfaction. What you find is it's momentary. It's here and it's gone. The people that, that get into drugs oftentimes, you know, what I, what I understand is that when they, they try a certain drug for the first time, they get this euphoric high that is, is just amazing and pleasurable to them. And then thereafter, they continue to do the drug in hopes that they get that same initial high, but it's never the same. And so that's how they become addicts, because they're chasing after this high that they think they remember, and it just takes them down a dour spiral and takes over their life, and they never really get that. And that's why 
Um, not only do they become, you know, addicted to these things, but we see these overdoses take place because they, well, I, I, I can't get it now. I need more. I need more and I need more. And it just can never be satisfied. That's what this life is like for us when we choose and construct these idols. They just never supply what can only be given by God. God gives them over, in other words, just to just let them experience this, the natural consequences of their sin. Like, well, you got a choice. You can choose this or that. And if you want to go that way, like, mm, all right, I'll give you over to that. He says, you want to live life without me? Have at it. Go ahead. In verse 25, where we'll pause here today and uh, end the chapter together next week. Verse 25 says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than creator who was blessed forever. Amen. And as reading this in hindsight, I'm like, how could they do that? How could they not recognize who God is and what he's doing? Remind yourself of that when you're at a fork in the road. When you want to choose the easy way out instead of the path that God has designed for you. You know, there's a common phenomenon known as confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the the tendency to cherry pick information that confirms our existing beliefs or ideas. And let me tell you, this is something that is also rampant here today. When we look at the news or we hear somebody's story, we uh, tend to uh, believe or put more weight on things that confirms things that we already believe. Or when something challenges us, they're like, no, that can't be right. That can't be true. Even though there might be facts or there are facts behind it, it's like, well, that doesn't confirm. I don't think it's right that way based on my experience. I don't think that's right. And the way this looks is there's a Venn diagram, and on one side you have objective facts, and on the other side of the circle you have information that confirms your belief. And so at the intersection of these two circles is what we have for the confirmation bias. So you only see and acknowledge the facts that confirm your own beliefs. This is a crazy phenomenon that we have, but we see it time and time again in the newspaper and social media on television. People tend to watch the news outlets that they mostly agree with. Hmm. They tend to read the newspapers that, that, that affirm what they already think they know and believe, the same as social media. The algorithm works in such a way that when you interact with certain people's posts, they're going to show you more of those posts. And so now your feed is filled with things that you already believe, that you already think. Warren Buffett is quoted as saying, what human being is, is best at doing is interpreting all new information so that prior conclusions remain intact. This is detrimental to us because when it comes to the Bible, people tend to believe lies that are reinforced uh, of their own selfish and personal beliefs. 
And we can tend to stay in our own camp. And, and it may be true, it may not be true, but we're not willing to be challenged by what we've constructed in our minds and then ensure that is accurate in light of the Scripture. And this is why biblical literacy, literacy is so important. And it's also why when I started this series, I told you your beliefs will be challenged. Because Paul brings out in this letter things that are very countercultural. Not only was it countercultural then, but it's certainly countercultural now. And what we've done as people, even here in this church, is allow the world to seep in and inform what it is that we believe. And I don't want you to succumb to this confirmation bias. I want you to hear and listen to Scripture and choose what is true. With TV, music, movies, and the rest of media presenting this, this, this sinful lifestyle and unwholesome values, we're constantly bombarded with the attitudes and beliefs that are totally opposed to the Bible. And we need to be aware of it. We need to understand. So, brothers and sisters, you need to be careful what influences the, your opinions and your beliefs. And how you do that is, is go back to the standard. When you hear something or something comes up, everything that happens in our lives, we need to look in the, the Scripture. We need to look in the Bible. We need to ask God, is this true? Is this right? Is this what you want? Is this what I should be doing? Everything needs to be seen through the lens of Scripture, not the lens of the world. Well, I saw on Facebook that I should be doing these type of things or it's okay. Well, did you, is that God's way? Is that God's will? It might be, but probably not. See everything that comes up in your life through the lens of Scripture. Evaluate everything. And not the other way around. Now, we don't see things in the world like, well, it, the Scripture doesn't say that, but so the world must be right because everybody else is doing it. Paul implies that other religions are based on false ideas about, uh, about the one true God. And, and, and let me tell you, Paul is very clear, the Scripture is very clear all through this, that there is no, there's not different paths to God. There's only one. And there's only one God. In order to know who that God is, you've got to be reading Scripture. You've got to be in prayer with Him. Behind the good news of the gospel is tough news. That tough news is that people commit acts and they um, have the displays of attitudes that God has promised to punish. People have chosen to go their own way. And unless they accepts his means of grace, then they're destined for destruction. So brothers and sisters, this is why the gospel is necessary. This is why he's drawn you to him so that you know what the gospel is, not so that you can keep, only so that you can keep it to yourself, not to, only so that you might have it, but you can experience his grace and go tell others about it. If we were just to take this the chunk of verses out and have them stand alone and we were only to read this, maybe this, if this was your only exposure to the Bible, then 
you, you feel pretty crappy. You, you would feel like there's no hope. That's why I want you to come back next week and the week after and the week after. But if we take these in isolation, it, it looks pretty, pretty bad, and, and you would want to throw up your hands. However, we need to remember that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are offered salvation through the cross and through his resurrection. That's the good part. We talked about the bad part today and how we got there and why God is mad and, and, and his wrath and his, his anger and his attitude is because people have suppressed the truth and gone their own way. But the answer is his son, Jesus. The answer and the, the solve to that problem is Jesus. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to read your Bible. I need you to read your Bible. This is the way that you get to know God. This is the way you understand what the truth is. You might be not be familiar with, you know, a lot of the, the characters and stories and things of that nature, and you might be confused about some things. And, and that's understandable. I get it. Not everything is, is as plain as this is. Well, we all started somewhere. All of us did. We didn't come out of the womb understanding everything about the Bible. And so you got to start somewhere, and I want you to start um, reading the Bible, even if it's just 15 minutes a day. We have this Bible reading plan where it goes really slow through the Bible. We're going to go through it in two years. But uh, even if it's not that plan, just to spend 15 minutes reading your Bible. And I would recommend that you read whole books right at a time, not just picking verses here and there. You know, it's not the Instagram Bible reading plan where you see a verse for the day. I want you to read through, and that's how you get to know God and, and who he is and what he's done for you. But if you don't understand something, um, it's, it's okay to ask questions. Feel free to, to, to send your questions to Vic. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure he would love. Yes, he said, send them. I, he would love to answer those questions for you, and, and as would I. It's okay to ask questions. There, there's no dumb questions and we will be happy. That's why we're here. That's why we, uh, God has called us here so that we can walk with you through your journey and help you get to know God better so that you can grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, thrive as a body of believers so that we can all serve Bolingbrook and the greater community. So that's what I want to leave you with here today. Um, next week, uh, man, we're going to get our hands dirty. So um, uh, you, you probably want to be here and uh, just be, wear, be, be sure to wear your steel toe boots because I'm going to step on some toes. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much. Man, it is unimaginable how much you care for us, how you've revealed yourself to us through uh, all of, of nature. But you didn't stop there. You you worked through your people. You gave, gave us your word. But more importantly, you gave us your son. You loved us in such a way that you made it possible for us to be reconciled back to you through your son giving up his life for us. And Father, for that we thank you. 
Father, if there's anyone here today that doesn't understand really what that means or how it applies to your life, I, I just beg that, that you would continue to move them in, in such a way that they would take action and they would ask questions and they would want to know more. They would spend more time with you in Scripture. They would spend more time with you in prayer. They would join us for our Bible studies and Sunday schools. They would join us in prayer um, all for the, the goal and the means of getting to know you better and how they might live their life for you. Help us today so that we can uh, love and support and serve those people and not only to keep it to ourselves, but so that we can go out and share the good news and make the 30,000 people here in Bolingbroke that might not know your name, that we would be a catalyst so that they might know you and celebrate you. And, and, and be uh, grafted into your family. So, Father, we thank you for all these things.